Do you see this church? I hope you don't miss this. This isn't like a tasting contest with Jesus. You know, I'll take a little Jesus here, a little Jesus there, help him to bless my plans, on we go. This is a wholesale surrender. It's a totally giving my life, you giving your life, you just lay it on the altar, so to speak, and say, here's my life. Take it. Use it for your glory. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Lord, we just pray that you would speak in a powerful way as we commune with you, as we worship you. And so just for a moment, let's just block out every distraction, every care of the world. And let's just seek the Lord together right now. Lord, it really is all about you. Your glory, your praise, your fame. So, Father, we are sorry for the times that we've taken center stage. Forgive us, Lord, as we humbly repent. It is not about us. It's about your glory, about your Son. It's about the gospel. So, Father, as we begin to Prepare our hearts right now to receive the Word of God gladly. Father, we just ask that you would move and move in power. We pray that you would not allow the enemy to have any foothold. We pray against his schemes, his lies, his devices. And Father, we pray that we would just walk in truth. In a culture that hates the truth. Give us courage, O oh God, to live the truth. So as we open these glorious pages of Your Word, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable to You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. So help me to decrease as You increase. Move me out of the way so that we just see you and hear you and worship you and obey you. Lord, we give this time to you. This is your time. Speak. Move in power. Give us courage to yield ourselves to you. Grip us. Grab a hold of us. Move us and shake us. and Do it only you can, God. It's by your power, not ours. Oh, Lord, we love you, and we give this time to you, and we pray this all in the mighty, the matchless name of the risen Savior, King Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 3. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And, and as you're turning there today, we want to start with a question to, to challenge us, to, yes, encourage us, to make sure we're on the right path and the right track. And the question simply is this, what do you long for in life? Just think about that truthfully. What do you long for? What is it in life that right now that it's coming to your mind's eye that, that you long for? Maybe it's good health. Maybe it's to move to a different location, to drive a car, to have a certain bank account, to go on vacation. All good things in and of themselves, but, but what is it you long for? We all long for something. What do you long for? What captivates right now in your mind's eye your attention? What holds on to your affections? What do you long for? When we think about that question, when we analyze that question, we've got to understand this, that what we long for is what drives us. What I long for drives me. What you long for, it drives you. You're on a mission. I'm on a mission. Again, in and of themselves, not inherently bad, but what do you long for? Here in God's Word today, we're going to see very clearly what we should long for, what we must long for. And so I want us to look at this text from 1 Peter chapter 2, reading from the ESV, these three verses as we continue our study of 1 Peter. And here's what the Word of God says as we finally made it to chapter 2, and all God's people said, amen. Here we are in chapter 2, verse 1. And here's what Peter writes by the illumination and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says these words, So, put away, very key, all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Now, verse 2, he paints a picture here. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Why? That by it you may grow up into salvation. Caveat, caveat, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. How many people today believe the Lord is good? Amen? Our Lord is good, isn't He? Like He's good even when we're not good, isn't He? I mean, the Lord is good all the time, and He's good even when He doesn't go our way. Maybe today you're struggling and you're in a, a difficult situation. There's a lot of disappointments in your life. Uh, look, we all go through those times, don't we? A welcome to planet Earth. That's how this thing works. But in the midst of the disappointments, our God is still good. It's part of who He is. It's His immutable nature that doesn't change. He is good no matter where you are in your journey of life. God is good. Never forget that. Like cling to that with a, a tenacity. Cling to that with a desperation. Cling to that with a hope. Hang on to it because it is your life. Our God, the great God of the Bible, He is good. It's interesting as Peter begins to weave 
through this text, we go back to the end of chapter 1. And look for just a moment to set this up. We've got to have a, a solid foundation and springboard. Look for a moment in verse 23 of chapter 1, First Peter. He says these words, since, so you have been, since you've been born again, you've been brought from death to life. You are now spiritually alive, not of perishable seed, but what? Of imperishable. How? Through the living, don't miss this, living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God is living and it's active. The Word of God is abiding, that we are welded to it prayerfully. We are riveted to it, that it is our source of hope. It's our source of encouragement. Yes, it's our source of rebuke and challenge, but the Word of God right there in those verses says this, that it's living and abiding, and then he goes on to explain that in 24, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, here he goes, and the flower falls. It grows and it dies, is what he's saying. But, here it is, church, hang your hat on this. In a culture that's chaotic and off the rails, hang your hat on this next phrase. But the Word of the Lord remains forever. Man, if you had one amen in you, that was the time to shout it out. <laughs> the Word of my God remains forever. Even if the whole world goes off into deception and you stand for truth and everyone abandons you, the Word of God, it's living, it's abiding, it can never be destroyed. Paul said it like this, that even though I'm in chains, the Word of God cannot be chained. For the true believer today, that should infuse you with a courage. Your spine right now should be one of spiritual titanium. The Word of God is true. It's real. As you comb the pages of Scripture and you mine the Scriptures, Every word of God is pure, and He is a shield to those who place their faith in Him, who put their trust in Him, who give their lives to Him. God is a shield. Isn't that so comforting? In a life where we need so much shielding from all the insanity going on, it's the living, abiding, breathing Word of God. And if we go from that launching pad, we then roll in here to verse 1 of chapter 2, and he goes, okay, so. In other words, therefore, in light of the Word of God being true, in light of the Word of God being living and abiding and active, Peter says this, here's the deal, so put away. Like it means this, to literally kill, to discard. Put away what? All malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. So, Peter says, do something. 
The Word of God is living, it's abiding, it's real. Everything else dies, but the Word of God remains and lives forever. And he says, because of that truth, because of that singular benchmark in the true believer's life, that you hang on to it with a desperation that cannot be shaken. Here's what you do. You say, look, I want to put away, I want to mortify, I want to kill every sin in my life that does not move me towards Christ because no sin does that. Amen? It's interesting when you study these five things to put away. Have you noticed on this list? These are all attitudes of the heart. We don't rob banks. We don't murder people physically. We don't sleep around. Check, check, check. But the enemy is so crafty, he's so cunning, he's so deceiving, he's the slanderer, he's the diabolical one, and through all his deceit, he doesn't get us to drive off cliffs necessarily through what we would categorize as the big sins. He gets us driving off cliffs through anything that's not of the Lord that we can easily rationalize and justify. Here, Peter, you got to remember the context. So he's writing to Jewish believers. They are on the lamb. They are on the run. They're in persecution. And he says, look, I know you're struggling. I know you're tempted to quit. And we've all been there. Amen. I don't know how many times I've been close to the done button over the years. Amen. I mean, you're just like, I don't know how much more I can do what I'm doing because there's so much strife, so much struggle, so much pain. And that's just internally. Amen. And it can be so easy to want to throw in the towel. And Peter says, no, 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 no. He says, don't go there. Turn your mind to the living, breathing, abiding Word of God. And as you cling to that, as you preach truth to yourself, as you're going through the struggles and you mind the Scriptures and you pour Scripture into you and you write it on the tablet of your heart and you keep it as a frontlet to your eyes, here's what happens. It's going to reveal in me those pockets of sin that so easily ensnare. And Peter says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, put it away. Don't give any crevice, any foothold. Don't even crack the door open to it. Kill it. Take it out and beat it. Have nothing to do with it is what he means. And by the way, that word all, it means this, all. It means the entirety of. So make no provision for the flesh that's so hungry, that so wants to be fed. It says here, the all. I know the bar is high, I get this. But that's the whole point of Christ, Holy Spirit, in you, in me. We can't do this on our own. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. Because we know that joy is not living in sin. It brings a temporal high, if you will. But what it does is it just creates, it creates, sin does, lasting problems that often go on for a lifetime. True joy is found in Jesus. 
True joy is found in Christ. True joy is surrendering everything to Him. That's joyfulness. That's contentment. Malice, number one. Wickedness, evil. But really with a desire to injure. Not just physically per se, but what about an injury that you dislike that person? I dislike that person and we don't have their best intentions in mind and so we want to undercut. We want to undermine. Words here, words there. A subtlety's there. Subtlety's here. Just to cut down, to tear down, to build ourselves up. To injure. Number two, deceit. Crafty. Uh, uh, tricking, baiting is what that is. And this deceit is so interesting that as we try to live in deceit, what's ironic is the person who's living the most in deceit is the person who's being deceitful. And we might try to have this plan on the side so that we can get what we want around the back door, and as we live and walk in that deceit, we're the ones that are enslaved. We're the ones that are walking in deceit. And you see this in corporate America all the time, don't you? Corporate America, you know, aim for the corner office, Trample on whoever you have to to get to the top, and who cares who you destroy in the process? I mean, just go for the gusto. So much conniving and deceitfulness. Number three, hypocrisy. It literally, from the Greek, gives an imagery of an actor in a play. So when I'm being a hypocrite, when you are being a hypocrite, and we all struggle with this to some degree... We say one thing and we behave another way. We're to put this away. Number four, envy. Boy, this one gets deep, doesn't it? But it's so easy to be envious of someone else. They have something that I want, and now the attitude of the heart is not of the Lord, but the flesh takes over, the insecurities begin to well up to the surface. And now my mind is not misalocked on Jesus or the abiding living Word of God. It's misalocked on that person, on that thing, whatever it is I'm craving. Now I'm going down the wrong path. Jesus is over there. I'm way over here. Do you see how these attitudes of the heart, if they're not dealt with, they will enslave, they will ensnare, they will sink their teeth into you and me. And the Bible says it like this, we will be caught in the cords of sin. I mean, just ensnared. And we don't get caught in the cords of sin typically like that. It's usually a process and a slow fade. One compromise, seemingly so small, now opens the door for the next compromise. Number five, slander. Speaking evil of someone, defaming, with the intent again to injure. What's interesting is all five of these that we were to put away and kill and mortify, all five of these play on one another. When you look at that list, think about that malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. They're all attitudes of the heart and they're all bedfellows. And they fuel and feed one another. And again, the temptation as believers, as a pastor, is to check off the big sins, so to speak, that we categorize and go, I'm good there 
And we totally begin, if we're not careful, to rationalize and justify these sins and give them a pass. And what we don't know is they're killing us from the inside out. That's why Peter says, you've been born again. You've been brought to life. So put this stuff away. Don't walk in this. That's why our key number one in your notes is, I believe, very, very important. And I want you to write this down. Key number one, fill this in. In order to kill personal indwelling sin in our lives, the desire to kill the sin must be greater than any desire to remain cohabitating with it. Let me say that again. Key number one, write this down. In order to kill personal indwelling sin in our lives, the desire to kill the sin must be greater than any desire to remain cohabitating with it. The reality is that I will change, you will change when our desire to change is greater than our desire to remain the same. There has to be a desire there, a thirst that says, I, I want to change. I, I want to become more like Christ. I, I want to truly give my life to Him. I want to be all in for the mission. I want to give glory to Him and be His disciple that, that makes disciples. Sinclair Ferguson said a powerful quote, and before I read that, I wanted to mention a thought that as we move into this concept of personal holiness, as we move into this concept of pursuing that, that, that we have to create under this key number one a, a disdain for sin, a hatred for sin. We don't trifle with it. We don't dilly-dally around with it. We don't just kind of keep it there on the peripheral. No, we, we kill it. We simply just say, I don't want any of this being around me because the allure, the temptation is there. And you have your weaknesses and I have my weaknesses. And if I allow those things that are weaknesses in my life to remain around me, my flesh is weak. No, we, we go on a seek-and-destroy mission. And spiritual growth and hating personal indwelling sin always, church, go hand in hand. Don't miss that. Spiritual growth and hating, I mean hating with a vengeance, personal indwelling sin always go hand in hand. I will not grow spiritually if I love my sin. When I hate it, and I go to war against it, I'm on the path to growth. Sinclair Ferguson, the theologian, said it like this, put sin to death, he says. It's as simple as that. Refuse it, starve it, reject it. You cannot mortify sin without the pain of the kill. There is simply no other way. You're probably wondering what Scripture says about this concept as we've looked at 1 Peter, but what else does Scripture say? I want you to write down Colossians chapter 3, 
Colossians 3, 5 through 10, the powerful verses that undergird this thought. And you've got to remember, so we had Peter writing 1 Peter. And then Colossians, we have Paul writing. So you have two different authors. And this is the beauty of the power of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit in His power and His dynamite, like only He can do, He connects the dots, doesn't He? He takes one human author, another human author, and it's amazing how the Scriptures flow together. And here's what is said through the pen of Paul to the church in Colossae. Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Check out if these words sound familiar. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, what is carnal in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6, on account of these, don't miss this church, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. In your former life, you once walked there when you were living in them, but now, don't miss those two words, but now, but now you must put them all away. Sound familiar? Not some of them, all of them. What are they here in this list? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Don't be deceitful. Seeing that you have put off, this is so key, put off what? The old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being, I love this, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Such beautiful text today from God's Word that for those that have been transformed, if you're here today and you've truly given your life to Christ, it's real it's not phony. It's not baloney. It is real. Your life has changed. If that's you here today, there's a marked difference in your life, and the people that know you will see the difference in your life. They will see a marked change. Not perfect. We all struggle. But there will be a true difference in the true believer's life. There will be an old self that has been put away, the imagery that Paul uses there with the putting away and the putting on is clothing. That literally the old self has been removed. And now this is so glorious. The new self. I've given my life to Jesus. My life is no longer my own. I just surrender all to Him. And here's the beauty. We are now clothed in His righteousness. Paul even said, having been found in Christ, not having my own righteousness. For the true believer, isn't this a glorious thought? That on that day when we stand in front of King Jesus, the only thing that we will need to plead is His righteousness. It's just awesome. Like, I don't know what you're longing for today. I don't know what's on your list. We ask that question. But there is nothing greater than having the blood and the righteousness of Christ in my life and your life because that's all that's necessary to take away our sin. I made this note. I said putting away sin is all about going into the fiery furnace and doing intense battle. Face to face 
with any personal indwelling sin. Confronting it head on. This is what it is. This is what it looks like. No more rationalizing. But as we pursue personal holiness, as we pursue looking at what we really long for, we get into the fiery furnace of life and say, God, I want you to reveal to me. I want you to show me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. Try me, test me, and then lead me. Then lead me in the way everlasting. What a beautiful thought of humility, of contrition, of brokenness. That's why Romans chapter 8, verse 13 gives us a, a stern, stern warning as we pursue God in His glory. Romans 8.13 says it like this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, here's the good news, but if by the Spirit, capital S, you put to death, you go on a mission, you go on a secret, so to speak, operative mission, that there you are, and you are killing that sin in your life. Search and destroy. But if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How about Romans 13, 14? Had to give you an easy one. 13, 14. Here it is. Romans 13, 14. But put on. There's the visual. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I think so many times I'm guilty of this, and perhaps you are as well, but, but the flesh loves to be fed. It loves to be fed. It's kind of like our golden retrievers every morning. They love to be fed. They love it. When 6 a.m. rolls around and they're dancing in the kitchen. They're bouncing around. They want to be fed. There's a desire. There's a, a true hunger. There's great passion in their wanting to be fed. Now imagine that 24-7, 365. That's my flesh. My flesh just dances around to be fed. It says, feed me, feed me, feed me. And here we are in this body of death and in this war, this internal war, because we've been transformed for the true believer, and yet there's still this pull, isn't there? There's this pull. That's why Peter says, you've been born again. Put these things to death. Whatever they are in my life, I need to name them. Whatever they are in your life, you need to name them. And then we need to go to war. Personal holiness will never come about as we cohabitate with sin. It will never happen. I was thinking through that thought and just praying through that. As I began to look at verse number 2, I couldn't help but take that thought from number 1 and see the beautiful picture that Peter's painting in verse 2, and look at it together here right now with 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's the imagery and the illustration. So he's given the command by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he says it's like. In other words, here's the model. Here's the model. Here's the example. Follow this, like newborn infants. Now, maybe you're thinking, you know, did, did Peter have any other things he could have pulled from? Well, it's interesting, when you were to go back there at 1 Peter 1, in verse 23, he talks about the believer in Christ is described, what, as born again. We see this very intentionally throughout Scripture, being born again. See, we're, we're born once as far as into this life, but 
The most important being born is born again, regenerated, rejuvenated, brought to life. We were dead, and for the true believer, now you are alive. There's nothing greater. If you're not born again, there will be a second death that will be inescapable forever and ever and ever apart from Jesus. When you look at this, He's reminding us, He's expanding this, if you will, as He's being so profound. Profound with what? The newborn infants. See, babies are desperate to be fed, aren't they? If you've got a baby in the house, you don't have to wake up the baby and say, hey, you need to be fed typically, right? I'm sure there's some isolated cases, but I know in our house that never happened, amen? <laughs> I mean, good grief. It's like, what do they do, right? I mean, they let you know when it's time to eat. They are kicking and screaming. Do you see the desperation? That's his point. There's a desperation. Is there a desperation to kill personal indwelling sin would be the question. Is there a desperation? Like, is there a, I hate this. This is, this is not of the Lord. I know it's leading me down a path that's not good. It's not spiritually healthy for me. And it's destroying me. It's destroying my family. Could be destroying my church. I, I can't have this in my life. Is there that desperation? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. But then he goes on and thinks through this thought because he says, long for. Long for what? Well, the pure spiritual milk. What does it mean, though, to long for something? We ask the question, what do you long for? Typically, when I long for something, here's what happens. When I long for something, I think about it a whole bunch. You know what I mean? Like I'm longing for it. Maybe you're longing for that vacation, right? And vacations are glorious. Amen. Praise Jesus. And all you do, you think about that vacation in June, and it's January 3rd. Amen? Uh, probably not a good thing, but you're longing for it. You're just, it just captivates you. It's all you do is you think about. You think about. That's what the point is here. When we ask what do we long for, we're really asking what has captured our thinking? What has captured our affections? And here he says, as you've put away the sin, long for be desperate for, be vigilant, be determined, be urgent, be intentional, long for with such a passion, such a desperation, that desire is there, that that hunger, that thirst for what? The pure, the true, unadulterated spiritual milk. And this is important. Don't miss this. When Peter is talking, when Peter is talking about spiritual milk, 
He's referring to here that we must not crave low-level teaching. It's real easy to be comfortable in situations that never challenge us. But what I've learned, as I gravitate towards those situations, I don't grow. The way the human body and even mind are wired is that we grow when we're put under challenge. We don't grow when we're not. We become comfortable. We become lazy, lukewarm, apathetic, indifferent. That's what happens. And Peter here is being very, very direct to these people that are already suffering. He says, I love you so much, I'm going to share truth that's hard. Don't crave, don't long for, don't desire stuff that's not going to help you grow. Fill your life with things that are going to push you to be more like Jesus. We live in a world, as you know, that People crave not the raw gospel, but they crave often things that will tickle the ears. It's been a hard week. I don't want to be challenged anymore. But the itching ears take over. That flesh gets fed. But the truth of God is what will really nourish the soul. It's the truth of God's Word that would nourish my soul, that will nourish your soul like those newborn infants that need that food to nourish them. Peter says, get in the pure, the unadulterated truth of God's Word and have it nourish, have it flood over your soul. That by it, you may what? Grow up into salvation. Do you see this? Do you see the connection between God's Word and salvation? Don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is so critical. It's God's Word. It's the truth that will set people free. People probably wonder, why are we so passionate about the Word of God here? Why do we throw in more gimmicks and games? Here's why. What if this week is your week to stand on the threshold of eternity? What if this is your week? I want to make sure the last thing I give you is the living, breathing, abiding Word of God that can set you free. That's my passion. I know you're probably wondering what key number two is, and so am I. And so here it is, key number two. The Word of God is living, it's pure, it has the power to rescue the spiritually dead person and then grow and sanctify them into the image of Christ. Amen? Let me say key number two again. The Word of God is living, it's pure. It has the power to rescue the spiritually dead person. That's the miracle here. And then grow and sanctify them into the image of Christ. 
Sanctification is a big word that has a very simple definition. It simply means this, ongoing change to be like Jesus. As we are being sanctified, there is change in our lives, typically pruning and refining, that happens in my life and your life to be more like Christ. That's the end goal, isn't it? That thought is so captivating to me because the reality is we are commanded to put away sin. Not a suggestion. When Peter is speaking here on the power of the Holy Spirit, this is not a, hey, if you feel like it, if you get around to it, uh, you know, kind of go through the box of sin in your life, my life, and kind of take out the ones you really don't like. No, he says put away all of it. He gives a list. That's not a comprehensive list, by the way. Any and all sin in my life, I must destroy, I must kill it, and you must do the same. And in verse 2, we see clearly what we must long for. But here's the challenge. This is the challenge for me. The challenge in this for me is that I often truthfully, even unwittingly, long for sin at times. And through that, sin longs for me. Just think through that for a moment and make that very personal to you. Perhaps right now the Lord's bringing into your mind areas in your life that, that need to be given over to Him, that need to be put away. And as we long for those things, even subconsciously, that sin longs for us like those golden retrievers love to be fed. But here's the key. Spiritual growth and a hunger for God's Word, church, always go hand in hand. Well, let me say this again. Please hear my heart on this. Spiritual growth and a hunger for God's Word always go hand in hand. If you're desiring to grow in Christ, but you're like, you know, I, I don't really need His Word. I don't want to submit to it. I don't want to listen to it. You'll never spiritually grow in the Lord. It just won't happen. Spiritual growth and a hunger, a desire, a thirst, a longing for God's Word always go hand in hand. That's why Romans chapter 1 says it like this. Romans 1, 16. Paul, who had a, an easy life, wrong, shipwrecked, beaten, abandoned by friends, stoned, not on drugs, but rocks thrown at him. By the way, when people are throwing rocks at you, that's not a high sign we like you. I mean, literally, he's cast out of cities, he runs back into them, everywhere he goes, he causes riots. Why? He was a living, breathing example of the power of the gospel. That the Word of God is living and abiding, it's breathing, and what it can do to that person's life that is, is sinful and is walking in rebellion, it has that stiff neck that needs to be broken. It has the power. And so he was writing not out of just intellect, he wasn't writing out of theory. When he's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing from experience, and this is what he says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's saying, I'm not ashamed of God's Word. Why? For it is the power. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
Everyone who believes, not just intellectually, everyone who literally gives their lives to Christ. That's what the word believes means. That's what that word believes means. We give our life to Christ. Yes, we intellectually believe. Yes, we emotionally respond. But there's a total surrender of the will in that word believe. And here in America, we've just regulated off into, you know, I believe in the big man upstairs, got the fire insurance, hey, let's go party. That's not salvation. That's insanity. Paul had radically been changed. For those who knew him pre-Jesus, and there were many that did, and they knew him post-Jesus, they're like, who is this guy? I mean, he was trying to kill us before. Now he's on our team. That's a totally transformed life. And he says, look, it's the power. The gospel is powerful. I don't know who you know. Maybe it's you today. That is living in rebellious defiance against the Lord. That there needs to be a true conversion, not a false one. And you may think, that person, God can never reach them. Wrong. There is nothing too powerful for the all-powerful God. Amen? There is nothing. I don't don't know where you are today. I don't know the struggles and the pain and the hurt. I mean, welcome to planet Earth. Here we are in this struggle, in this fight. But there's nothing too deep for the grace of God. The grace of God, as was once said, is deeper still. It is the power of the gospel for everyone who commits their life to, by the way, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, that's a timely word in our culture today, isn't it? God's word doesn't discriminate. It's open to all. Whoever truly gives their life to Jesus, that's the power of the gospel. How about Romans chapter 10? Write that one down, Romans 10, 14 through 17. You want to talk about the power of the Word of God. Listen to these verses. Romans 10, listen to how powerful and alive it is. 14 through 17. Here's the question. How then will they call on Him and whom they have not given their lives to, believed? And how are they to give their lives to Him, believe in Him, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, heralding? And how are they to preach and herald unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who herald and preach the good news. But 16 gives us a great illustration of the reality. But they have not all obeyed, submitted, yielded to the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has given their life to you believed? What he has heard from us. And then here's the verse 17. So faith, so salvation comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There is power, church, today in the word of God. And as we cling to the word, as we hold fast to it, as we long for it, as it is our desperation, prayerfully for you and me, it is the air that we breathe prayerfully for you and me today that we go out each and every day and say, man, if I'm not in God's Word and it's not in me, I don't know how I can continue on. 
but there's a desperation and a hunger and a thirst that's intentional, that's urgent for the living, breathing, abiding Word of God. Oh, I pray that for my life, and I I pray that for you as well. Because verse 3, our final verse, gives us a, a dire caveat and warning. And here's what Peter says. He says these words in verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 2. If indeed, hmm, let's pause there. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What does he mean by those two words, if indeed? Well, here's what he means. If truly, if genuinely, if this has really happened. See, all of this goes back to this being born again, this new birth. All the way back there to the first chapter, now we're in the second chapter, and he's still playing on this glorious theme of what it looks like to be born again, to come from death to life. And here he says these words, if indeed, if truly, if genuinely, if this has really happened, what? That you have tasted. Tasted. You ever taste a a good piece of chocolate? Amen. There's something about a good piece of chocolate. Or a couple. What are you doing when you taste them? You are partaking of them, aren't you? That's exactly what Peter's getting at here. Listen closely. If indeed, if truly, if genuinely, if reality plays out that this is real in your life that you have partaken of. Do you see this, church? I hope you don't miss this. This isn't like a tasting contest with Jesus. You know, I'll take a little Jesus here, a little Jesus there, help him to bless my plans, on we go. This is a wholesale surrender. It's a totally giving my life, you giving your life, you just lay it on the altar, so to speak, and say, here's my life. Take it. Use it for your glory. If you, if I, have genuinely and truly partaken of giving our lives to the Lord, And what is the Lord? He's good. He's kind. He's gracious. He's merciful. When I think about my sin and my shame and the ongoing struggles that I deal with, how can I not come out of that equation? How can I not deductively come out of that equation and just say, wow, the Lord is good? And that's an understatement. Because my struggles... And your struggles and these bodies of death can be so difficult and so challenging. And we have a heavenly Father who still looks at us and He says, I still love you. I'm walking this thing out with you. Whatever your struggle is, I'm right there with you. And He doesn't always take us around the storm, even though we pray for that, don't we? Lord, please give me another detour around this new storm. No, often He goes, hang on, because we're plowing right through it. And He takes us through the storm. 
And what happens is we go through the storm of life and we hang on and we long for, for dear life. We long for, for dear life, that, that it's, it's He, not us. It's His power. It's His righteousness, His holiness. All that is in Him. It's He that carries us through the storm. Here's what it does in the true believer's life. It develops a dependence on Him that can only come through the eye of the storm. That's the only way it can happen. Because we learn that in our flesh, we're weak. In the eyes of the storm, before you get into the eye where it is peaceful, it's really bumpy on the way there. And if I'm hanging on by my own strength, I'm going to fall. But with God and His power, all, all things are possible. Amen? If indeed. Key number three. Last key, here it is. Embracing who God is and what He has done are pivotal in truly giving your life to Him. Let me say this again. Key number three. Here it is. Last key. Embracing who God is and what He has done are pivotal. They're mission critical in truly giving your life to Him. When you and I understand who God is, that He is the great God of the Bible, there is no other. He creates light. He forms darkness. Our God does all these things. He's given His only begotten Son that whosoever believes, whosoever surrenders, whosoever commits to, whosoever totally gives their life to Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we begin to understand who He is and His goodness, those immutable attributes, His holiness. We go on and on and on. And then what He did, that He went down deep and pulled me out of the mire. He pulled you, the true believer, out of the mire and the muck and all that goes on in life. And we see what He's done. We see what He's doing. We know what He's going to do in the future. As far as we read Scripture, we see He's coming back through His Son, Jesus These are pivotal, mission-critical elements in truly giving your life to Him. If all we do is just get up and say, who wants to go to heaven? You'd have to be a raging lunatic to say no. But I mean, you, you just outline that whole gospel and His great love and what He's done for you today. How can we reject the most glorious invitation and relationship there is? See, Nahum 1.7 says it like this. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And He knows, that word is intimacy, He knows those who take refuge in Him. What a glorious verse that you and I should write on the tablet of our hearts. Nahum 1.7, the Lord, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold. He's a stronghold that can never be defeated. I don't know about you, I want to be on that team, amen? He can never be defeated no matter what you're dealing with today. When your life is wrapped up in Him, it is wrapped up in Him. 
And even though He still takes us through the eye of the storm, as He's teaching and pruning and refining me and you for His glory, for His fame, for His name. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of a love that is out of this world. Literally out of this world. That's why Psalm 34.8, Psalm 34.8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Have you today, have you truly tasted that the Lord is good? Are you partaking truthfully in a two-way relationship where He has given His only Son for you and now you give your life back to Him? Are you tasting? Are you partaking of on an ongoing basis? Well, that's why the takeaway question is, Simply this, do I long to be conformed to the image of Christ? Takeaway question, do I long to be conformed to the image of Christ? When the question was first asked, what do we long for? I'm curious, without a, a show of hands, just rhetorically, did anyone answer in that vein? Do I long to be conformed to the image of Christ? That's the ultimate goal for the true believer in Christ. Our mission now is to be like Jesus. And as we think through that thought, what is so mission critical is this element called personal holiness. For nearly two years now, we have been under the Word of God. The passionate, fearless proclamation of the Word of God. And the hours that go in every week to preparing the meal. Hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of mining the Scriptures and praying and seeking the Lord. And we must be under the Word of God. I mean, you want to know a strategy? Here's our strategy under the Word of God. Number two, fervent prayer. We've begun that here the last couple months. Every Monday night we gather here in this room. We gather and we seek the face of God and we repent and we confess and we praise the Lord. And there is power in prayer. Our God still answers prayer. No one will ever change my mind on that. One person once said that if you want to know how popular the church is, just go on Sunday morning. And if you want to know how popular the preacher is, go at another time for another gathering. But if you want to know how popular God is, go to the prayer meeting. There is something about praying together and making it a priority. That's our strategy. The Word of God, submitting to it, yielding to it, fervent, desperate prayer. Now is a third component we're adding into our strategy, and it's called this, pursuing personal holiness. Revival will never take place unless I, you, pursue personal holiness. It will never happen. What is it? Well, it's real simple. It's two words, personal holiness. The first part's really easy to understand. Make it personal. I can't make it about you for your holiness, i got to work on me. 
So each one of us, we just draw a circle around ourselves and say, God, bring holiness to the person in the circle. But what's holiness? What is holiness? Well, God says this in the Old Testament, three places there in Leviticus chapter 11, 19, and also 20. He says this, be holy for I am holy. What was he talking about there to the kids of Israel? Where was he going with this? Kind of an interesting statement. Why would he say something like that? Well, here's the deal. They were his kids, his children. And he said, look, you're going into these foreign lands. There's all this idolatry. Don't get ensnared with the things of the world is what he's saying. Be holy. Be set apart. You are set apart. As a true believer in Christ, you are set apart. We are not to blend in with the world. We are not to become like the world. We are to be the culture changers for a world that's off the rails. And God says, be holy. It's a command. First Peter, we just saw that there and we studied in chapter 116. He quoted to those Jewish believers, he pulled from Leviticus and he said these words, be holy as I am holy, referring to God. So what's the big deal of personal holiness? It's a huge deal. It's a mission critical deal. God doesn't want you and I taking orders from the world. He wants us taking orders from King Jesus. We are to pursue this holiness with an intentionality and an urgency and a desperation. So how do we do this? Well, you've got to have a game plan. We just don't stumble into this, wake up one morning and go, hey, we're holy. And by the way, this is not for salvation. This is from salvation. Very clear here. There's no self-effort in salvation. It's by grace we've been saved, period. However, if you read on in that same text in Ephesians 2, we are created in this new salvation for good works. So you could say it like this. What is holiness? Here's holiness. Holiness is a direct reflection as I live my life of my rescue. As I live my life, as you live your life, if you're truly saved, holiness is pursuing that life that will be a direct reflection of the rescue. It's how we live our lives, how we walk in our lives, the Bible talks about, how we conduct ourselves, how we behave, be holy. Well, let me give you 10 questions, and they're in your bulletin, and I pray you'll take these 10 questions. I gave them last week to set the tone, but I want to go through these here. And I pray, as I'm going to do from this day forward, and I want to plead with you today, I'm pleading with you, that you'll take this sheet in front of you, and you will put it somewhere where you'll see it every day. And you'll ask these 10 questions of you, and I'll ask these 10 questions of me every day. And let's watch God work. After 30 days, let's see what God's up to. And here's question number one from Don Whitney. Do I thirst for God? Do I thirst for God? Like, do you right now, do you have a hunger and a thirst for God? Or is He just something you just try to kind of fit in your schedule whenever you can get around to it? No, remember, for the true believer in Christ, don't miss this, Jesus is your schedule. He's your schedule now for the true believer. Do you thirst for Him? Do you thirst for God? Number two, am I governed increasingly by God's Word? Am I governed increasingly by God's Word? 
What's that mean? Well, on tractor trailers, they often have a governor. What's it do? Well, it limits the speed of the truck. It governs it. The truck submits to it. The truck yields to it. Am I submitting to and yielding to increasingly, ongoingly, to and by God's Word? Or do I resist it? There's stiff neck, rebellious heart. Number three, am I more loving? Do I love people? Do I have deep concern and true concern for them? Number four, am I more sensitive to God's presence? Am I more sensitive to God's presence? I believe the Bible is very clear for the true believer, the Holy Spirit indwells that true believer. No question, zero question. If I really took that seriously, would I do and think and say some of the things I do and think? Be more sensitive to His presence in you and with you. Number five, do I have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? Really relates to number three, doesn't it? Am I more loving? Number five, again, do I have a growing concern? Like, does your heart break for those neighbors and coworkers around you that are lost? Those family members right now that the bottom line is this, there's just no way to get around this. If they died today, if they're on the threshold of eternity right now and they enter into eternity, they are eternally separated from Jesus forever. Is there a concern for me, a concern for you, for those people? Number six, do I delight in the bride of Christ? Do I delight, do I find joy in His church? Not His buildings, His people. Is there a delight in the bride of Christ? Number seven, are the spiritual disciplines, what I do, prayer, reading God's Word, discipleship, are they increasingly important to me? I was like, eh, i got to read that book again. Prayer? Why do I want to do that? Be a disciple? Are these important to me? Are they important to you? Number eight, powerful one. Do I still grieve over sin? Do I still grieve over sin? When you and I sin, do we grieve? Does it just break our hearts? We've been changed. The old has been put away. The new has come on. Do we grieve? Number nine, am I a quicker forgiver? Number nine, am I a quicker forgiver? He could have just said, am I a forgiver? And that would have been really good. But why did Don Whitney say, am I a quicker forgiver? Well, forgiveness does two things. We release the person that has sinned against us, and we release ourselves from the self-imposed prison. And the more we hang on to it, the more enslaved we are, and the more bitter we become. Am I a quicker forgiver? And number 10, and what a powerful one this is, do I yearn, love that word, do I yearn for heaven to be with Jesus? Like, do you yearn today for heaven? If you're a true believer, you should. If you're not a true believer, you should give your life to Jesus right now. Do you yearn for heaven? I know I do. I yearn to be out of this body of death, no more sin. No more personal indwelling sin. 
becoming more like Christ. So I pray that you will take this seriously. I can't make you. But I pray you'll join me in this. Pursuing personal holiness. And let's watch God do something amazing. Just amazing. Because people need the Lord. Amen? I was thinking of a final thought to give you and it really began to to move into my heart and think about this one illustration. And I want you just to listen to what someone said that captivated my mind. Listen to this thought in case you're wondering how powerful your gospel witness is. Because maybe you're not. Maybe you're thinking it's not that big of a deal. I want you to listen very carefully to these words. I am not religious. So it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. End quote. An atheist wrote that. Church, do you see the critical nature of living the gospel? That as you go to work tomorrow, as you go to the family gathering, wherever you go to the restaurants today, that you, for the true believer today in this room, you are the living, breathing gospel that walks about. Oh, I pray what we long for is Jesus. I pray what we long for is the gospel. I pray what we long for is that people run into the cross. I pray we long for revival and awakening and reformation. Oh, I pray for a mighty move of God all over Chester, Virginia and beyond. Oh, I pray and I long for these things. What do you long for? No, I pray we will join in personal holiness and watch God do an amazing work in my life and yours. Father, we come before you as we bend our hearts towards you, as we bend our minds towards you. Lord, we know we have a message that is so offensive. And yet, it's so freeing. So Father, I pray. I pray with the utter desperation and desire and hunger and thirst. Lord, I pray for my life that I will be totally surrendered to You. Father, I pray for every life here today that they will be totally surrendered to You. Father, it's just too easy to surrender some, which actually means we've surrendered nothing. So, Father, when you speak 
pray that we will joyfully listen. Father, would you move in this place right now? Would you stir like only you can? Would you awaken the hearts that are dead? Would you encourage those that are alive but perhaps are struggling? And for those who have never truly given their life to you, God, I pray today will be the day of salvation. Because what if this week is their appointed time to step into eternity? Father, give us an urgency. Give us an urgency like never before to give you glory, to be disciples of Jesus that go and make more disciples of Jesus. Don't allow us to be casual. But help us to take this seriously, O God. For we will give an account. O Lord, we love you. We worship you. We fall at your feet today as we sing this song. God, I pray that every person that sings this song will mean it from the depths of their heart. As we truly right now surrender all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.